We are still here in the Sermon on the Mount, in which we approach as Jesus giving us an understanding of what are his standards, what are God's standards of God's kingdom. It made me think this week of, of an experience that a pastor had in which a family came to him, which often happens in small town situations, in which a family came to him and asked him to perform, perform the funeral for a man who had died in the community that had nothing to do with the pastor's church. In fact, he was a scoundrel from the community named Ollie Brubaker. And uh, Ollie was a, a scoundrel of scoundrels. But the pastor had a little bit of a dilemma, and that's that Ollie's brother, we'll call him Bill. I don't know. Sorry, Bill. I try to think of uh, names. We'll call him Frank. There we go. Uh, Frank came to the pastor and said, listen, we all know that my brother was a scoundrel of scoundrels, but here's the deal. I've got $100,000 that I am willing to donate to your church if you will, as a part of his, this funeral message, tell everyone that my brother, Ollie, was a saint. In fact, I need to hear you say the words, Ollie Brubaker was a saint. And uh, if, you, if you can do that, then the $100,000 is yours. And so the pastor prayed and, and uh, fretted over this and you know, there was much uh, needed work to be done on the church building. And so he, he came to that funeral and the message and um, had decided what he was going to do. He was going to stand his ground. And so he came to the, the um, what is it called? Eulogy, thank you. He, I, words just skipped my mind. He came to the eulogy uh, to point in this message, and he shared, we all know that Ollie uh, was a scoundrel. Uh, the fact, fact and true, we all know that Ollie uh, ran around with many of your wives. We are aware that Ollie, as an insurance agent for that small stint of time, took the money of little old ladies and didn't get the policy with those premiums and, and allowed them to die penniless. We all know of, of the ill deeds of Ollie Brubaker, but I will tell you this. Compared to his brother, Ollie Brubaker was a saint. <laughs> We're familiar with with running into those dilemmas in which there's what I should do, and, but, but I've got all these people watching me. And, and so am I going to do what I should do, or am I going to do what people want me to do? But there's even a greater uh, dilemma, if you will. That's a large dilemma of outward action. What am I specifically going to do? But we face another dilemma that Jesus brings to our attention in our passage here this morning, and that is, I know the good that I should be doing, and there's a danger that in doing that good, I have the question of why am I going to do it? Am I going to do it for the glory of God, or am I going to do it to try to impress the people that are watching? 
Am I going to do it in order to gain glory from people, or am I going to do it to give glory to God? And so we, we look at our passage here this morning entitled it, Our Audience of One. I think you'll understand why that is. Jesus moves into the next part of the Sermon on the Mount with a warning. Beware of this. You know, we're used to seeing pictures or, or signs that say, beware of dog. Right? And then you've got the signs that say, don't worry about the dog, beware of the owner. Or for some of you as dads, you know, it's beware of the teenage daughter's dad that you might put on the sign. Jesus warns us to beware, or the term beware means be aware of this. Be aware of this danger. And he states in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is really the summary statement, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now it doesn't stop there. We've got a purpose clause that comes after that, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, in other words, it's beware of practicing your righteousness before other people for the purpose of being seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The main idea that I want to get across to you here this morning is this. Watch out that you don't do the right thing because you want others to see you doing that right thing. Watch out that you don't do the right thing in order to, for the purpose of others seeing you doing the right thing. Okay, it, it, that's very simple here. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. I'm going to do this because I want other people to see me doing this. All right, I just want to simplify this right off the bat. The, the idea of beware is be in a state of alert. Be concerned about this. Be aware that this is a temptation that we all face. Doing the right thing so that other people will see us doing the right thing. The focus here is doing religious practices or doing uh, what we call spiritual disciplines merely for the sake of public recognition. One of the, one of the saddest statements in John 12 at Jesus' triumphal entry when he comes into Jerusalem and it, the, the, the uh, religious leaders describe it as the whole world is going out to him. That at the latter part of that chapter, it describes that even some of the religious leaders believed in him. They wanted to follow him, but they would not confess him as being the Savior because of the fear of the, of the religious, other religious leaders. They feared being kicked out of the synagogue, but then it makes a statement, and it, appearing into their heart, because they desired more the praise of men. Than the glory of God. We all struggle with that. And Jesus is pinpointing that. He's raising that standard of the kingdom. Of God looks at the heart. God knows what our desires are. God knows what our purpose is. 
In a sense, we're to start caring about eternal matters, eternal reward, being on guard against carrying out your spiritual disciplines in order to be better respected for them. Now, well, okay, so I'm just trying to make it simple here. In order to be better respected for them. Aside from being hypocritical, the short-lived reward of other people's respect from glorifying ourselves replaces the eternal reward that would come from glorifying God instead. That's the danger. That's what's lost here. Jesus illustrates what he's talking about with three specific practices of, of the Jewish people that are good practices that, that um, the Pharisees especially were known for practicing religiously, if you will, and that being of giving, prayer, and fasting. And so we'll look at those examples that Jesus gives of this big idea of watch out that you don't do the right thing because you want others to see you doing the right thing. The standards of God's kingdom doesn't just care. God doesn't just care about what we do. All right? God's standard is one that measures the desires of our hearts as well. He wants to work on our hearts. <clears throat> and I think that's an encouraging thing. I think it's an encouraging thing that he does work on our hearts that he can work on our hearts. And when we do the right things for the wrong reasons, then they don't do. Those things don't have the impact that they're intended to have. And each one of the statements about these three areas, I'm trying to communicate what also is the impact that those disciplines are intended to have in our lives that we miss out on. If we are only looking at, okay, so what are people going to think of me if they know that I'm practicing this thing, right? I really appreciate a song by Big Daddy Weave, other than just the name of the group. What a great name, Big Daddy Weave. But the song is Audience of One. One of the verses, it says, So what could I bring to honor your majesty? What song could I sing that would move the heart of royalty? <clears throat> when all that I have is this life that you've given me, so Lord, let me live for you my song with humility. To my audience of one, you are Father and you are Son. As your spirit flows free, let it find within me a heart that beats to praise you. And now just to know you more has become my great reward. You to see your kingdom come and your will be done. I only desire to be yours, Lord. That's what's meant by having an audience of one. But we're surrounded by people, right? I mean, this is a major part of what we pray together when we gather together up here at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, myself and the, the worship team and the guys participating in AV that morning. Uh, our, a large part of our prayer is, Lord, get all the glory this morning. Because we can identify with the idea that it's 
so easy to sit up, stand up here to bring glory to God and think, oh, that glory feels good. And, and, and to start absorbing it ourselves, if you will. So I just want to point out, there's two groups that apply this principle, that you could apply this principle to. As we've talked about throughout here on the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, the, the standards of the kingdom apply to unbelievers and apply to believers in each case. For unbelievers, those who will stand in judgment before God because they have not put their faith in Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, those that may think that their, their form of righteousness is good enough, Jesus says to them, the wrong motives make even your righteous actions unrighteous. As Isaiah puts, even our, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. And Jesus is pinpointing part of what makes those righteous, quote-unquote, actions that you might be taking, unbeliever, is the fact that you are doing them for your own glory. You are doing them for your own esteem from other people. And so that standard of the kingdom that Jesus is dropping on those that are not trusting him as Savior is God's standard of righteousness is impossible to reach for salvation. For, but even so, for the follower of Jesus... Those that have received his gospel, who have had Jesus' righteousness count on our behalf. We, we have, we have told, the, told God, Lord, all I have to give to you is tainted by my sin. I am sinful and I need forgiveness. Thank you so much that Jesus paid for my sins and that I can have your righteousness in place of my sinful, tainted, good works, anything that I might do. Make me your child. Those who have, have received Jesus' righteousness to count for them, seeking to live for God's glory, worshiping him as his desires. As, as he desires. There's application for us as well in these verses. Of course, there can be great good that comes from other people seeing good deeds. Jesus has already um, told us in Matthew uh, 5.16, after talking about, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose of our good works, to give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so here he's talking about be careful that you don't practice these things for the glory that others might want to give to you for them. So the people that Jesus is putting in the spotlight here are the Pharisees at this point. Or it's his hearers that are following the Pharisees' way of doing things. And why do I say this? Well, recall Jesus' warning in chapter 5, verse 20. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so then he goes from there to start 
uh, laying out, okay, so the law says this, and the law says this, and the law says this. The law says this about adultery. The law says this about murder. The law says this about divorce. Well, the scribes were all about getting the law correct in its writing, their, their, in their scribal work. And, and, and the, the, uh, the lawyers uh, would have come from the scribe group. Um, and, and then the lawyers of that day are explaining, okay, the law says this and it means this. And the law says this and it means this, just as lawyers do today. Well, Jesus is focusing in on those scribes. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I believe that here he's focusing on the Pharisaical side of that. Jesus exposes the low expectations of the Pharisees to the perfect standard of the kingdom of God at this point. The Pharisees were known for practicing their piety, specifically in three call, uh, pillars, if you will, of Jewish piety. And that would be giving to the poor, prayer multiple times a day, and fasting multiple times per week. Jesus exposes these low expectations and compares them to the perfect standard of God's kingdom. Again, for unbelievers, it's saying, you better look for a righteousness that's different than yours. For the believer, it's saying, this is what God intends to do with our spiritual disciplines. And it doesn't involve getting more glory for yourself. So that's what we should be listening to. So Jesus draws examples from these three primary practices and how fleshly they can actually be. And so we read forward in verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who, is, who sees in secret will reward you. Now from verse 7 forward, Jesus goes into talking about... Uh, so then pray in this way. And, and we're going to focus on that next week. And he leads into the Lord's Prayer as we know it. <clears throat> but for the purpose of this week, we're going to jump ahead to verse 16. And I think you'll see why. It says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces and their, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's obvious that these, the, to see the parallels in these passages, right? Jesus warns uh, to not be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites, this is actually a term used in that day for actors on the stage, and and um, they and we have taken that term 
to talk about someone who acts religiously on the outside, but it really is making no difference or it's not reflecting what is truly going on on the inside. But the actors on the stage, the reason why we, we use that term hypocrites of what would refer to actors on the stage, and we now talk about it in religious terms today, is because the, the, the actor would change their character based on the mask that they would put on. And you can see how somebody would say, oh, I'm around my church friends. I got to put my church mask on. Or I'm around my worldly friends. I got to put my worldly mask on. Or when I'm at home, I take the mask off and I'm somebody completely different. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like an actor on the stage. Just changing your mask based on who it is that you're around. Who it is that you're trying to impact with what you do. Jesus closes all three of these passages with the same statement. Do X for your father who is in secret and your father who sees it in secret will reward you. It's been said the most important part of a Christian's life is the part that only God sees. And that's what Jesus targets here. And what's awesome is when we have a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And God works on the part that only God sees. And we can take great encouragement from that. A few things that I want to point out to you. These are good disciplines to practice. These are good disciplines to practice. Jesus taught with the expectation that his followers would keep with these disciplines. He's not saying, hey, don't do what the Pharisees do. He's saying, but when you do these things, do them in this way. And the instructions that he gives us here is for the avoidance of the temptation of doing them in order to be seen or in the hopes that others will see us doing them. There are applications of Jesus' primary warning. Beware. These are applications of his warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I'm not necessarily going to take the time to to outline the specifics of how these things should be done. The epistles of the New Testaments provide clarification on these things, just as they do for all of Jesus' teaching. You might be like, it's already after 11, J.D. I'm glad you're not going to go into great detail with all of these. Um, We've... we've, uh, you know, moved a little slower here this morning. Then I hope you'll be patient with me. But the first practice that Jesus challenges us to do for the right reason is in our giving. And I want to challenge you here this morning. Give in order to invest in God's glory. As opposed to in order for other people to know that you gave. Right? I am so glad that with our finance team and, and people that, that, that um, focus on uh, the, you know, the money and things that come in, none of us on the shepherd team like know who gives what, all right? And, and so if, if, uh, if that's a disappointment to you, this, is, this passage is for you here this morning. <laughs> we are to give in order to invest in God's glory rather than to show how generous we are. The offering containers of that day, there, no, no one was known for like blowing trumpets uh, when they gave. But it's probably 
possible the, 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 what's being communicated here, it has to do with the offering containers of that day had a, a top to them that was kind of like the shape of a trumpet. And oftentimes they were metal. You know, those of you who knows what a spittoon looks like, it was kind of like, like that. And so when somebody was really rich, they maybe, maybe they would go to the bank and they'd like cash a hundred in for, for nickels, right? And then they could come to the offering container and drop that hundred dollars in nickels uh, into that container, that trumpet-shaped container, and be like, and everybody in the synagogue you know, was turning around like, whoa, who's giving all that money? That, that's a very real possibility of what is going on in that day and age. When it talks about don't, know what don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, again, this is not meant to be a formula. You know, we joked about before, it's like, okay, so you've got to make sure your left hand's doing something over here where your right hand is writing the check because somehow that, that has something to do with it. This is not, we're not being given a formula here. It is meant to tell us to give and let go of what we have given. Jesus is telling us when you give, beware of doing so in a way that gets others to notice your generosity. The point is for you to grow in your relationship with God in trust and obedience. And if you make it about gaining respect from others in your giving, you miss out on the reward of the closer walk with God that he intends. And I believe the eternal rewards are those that basically... We're going to get, I, this, is how, this is how I picture it. You know, nothing in scripture tells us this. So this is just coming from JD. I, I just kind of picture it that like, I'm going to like get my rewards and then I'm going to get to go over to Jesus' feet and lay them at his feet. It's not, I don't think I'm going to get, or you're going to get, or anybody's going to get like a bigger mansion or something like that. I think our reward is the presence of God. And to get to spend eternity in the presence of God doing cool stuff. But I'm, I'm digressing here. But um, I can remember my Uncle Frank, who was a career missionary in Japan, uh, spent his, his, uh, the, his, the prime of his life sharing the gospel in Japan after World War II, as, as so many men and women did. Uh, I remember him sharing with me one time that, that uh, one of the, really the, the, the spiritual and, uh, and even really more of the cultural leaders of the church came to his door one night and was upset at a decision and a, and a direction that the church was moving in. And he comes to him and he says, he says, I'm upset that this is a decision, this is what's being done. And Uncle Frank says, well, I'm, yet that is just the decision that was made. That's, that's where the leadership believes that this needs to be going. And the man's response was, do you have any idea how much I give to this church? And out of a concern for that brother, my Uncle Frank's response was, your giving to the church has nothing to do with this. That needs to be an offering to the Lord that you let go of for his glory, not for yours. I believe he's telling him that out of a concern for him because he doesn't want him to lose whatever reward he has from God. First and foremost, in trust and obedience and experiencing that closer walk with the Lord. I don't know how plaques on pews and on stained, window, stained glass windows and things like that work, 
You know, I know you can go into some churches, and I'm not blaming, you know, accusing those churches or anything like that. The, the person that gave money that, that provided for that stained glass window might have said, please don't put my name on a plaque, all right, at the bottom of it and stuff. <clears throat> but I picture it in this way. I don't want to get to heaven, and when we're handed out rewards to lay at Jesus' feet, to sit there going, man, why did I get the plaque on that pew? I'd have more reward here. That's the idea that Jesus is getting across, I believe. It's rewarded in one way or the other, but not both. And that's the warning for us. Instead, we should be able to say, as Tim Keller, who passed away this past week from pancreatic cancer, said in his dying statement or his final statement, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest saying that because the man had poured himself out for God's kingdom. The second practice that Jesus challenges us to do for the right reason is in our prayer. And I challenge you here this morning, pray in order to be more intimate with God. That's our purpose in prayer, to be more intimate with him. Mentally self-righteous Pharisees would stop everything at least three times a day and pray out loud wherever it was that they were. Street corners, markets, wherever they happened to be at the time. You can kind of see how it worked. Be like, all right, so prayers at 3 p.m. I think I could find myself on the two main streets of town uh, right there on the corner so that I can stop everything. Oh, 3 p.m. You know, they didn't have watches. I don't know uh, from the, where the sun was positioned or something like that. And they would just be like, start praying to God on the street corner. Kind of putting that what should be an intimate moment with them and the Lord on display. Or in the market or wherever they happen to be. And this is describing a person that broadcasts their personal prayer in order to impress others. This is, this is not picturing a person that's at a prayer gathering. That's praying out loud. That other people might be in agreement with it. That we might be one in spirit. I've felt guilty before that it's easier for me sometimes to pray with other people. And I've asked the Lord, Lord, is that because I, I'm, I like the idea of impressing? Or maybe I think I'm impressing other people with that? And, and I don't think that's what it is. He hasn't confirmed that or, or convicted me in that way. I think my faith is encouraged by the unity of the Spirit in that way. As one writer says, the essence of prayer is the communion of a disciple with his Father. And Jesus is telling us to then to, to treat prayer as a conversation between you and God. Don't treat it like a way to earn respect from others. And if that's the case, that's all you'll get. Not a closer walk with God. Your reward is growth in a relationship with God of intimate trust and obedience. <clears throat> I like the definition of intimacy as you can divide it up of into me see. And it takes privacy to cultivate intimacy with God. Spend that private time talking with God and receive the reward of intimacy with Him. I've wondered sometimes, you know, you'll see after a debate, 
a political debate, a televised debate, or after a speech or something like that, a political candidate will have his family come up, you know, or her family come up to the stage, and they'll kind of talk, and they'll, they'll kiss and hug and be like, oh, yeah, hold hands and stuff like that. I mean, how grieving would that be for that spouse if they're sitting there going, he never does this at home. He never talks to me like this. He never holds my hand. He's just doing this because everybody's watching. It, 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 it's like that's intended to develop intimacy. We talk with our spouse to, for that intimacy. As, as a result of intimacy, we, we hold hands as a result of intimacy to develop intimacy. We don't put it on display to make it appear like we have intimacy with our spouse. And it's the same way in our prayer. And it's, this is an opportunity to hold this standard up for yourself in your walk with God to just stop and say, Lord, is that how I treat it? If prayer is only useful for you to gain respect for others, I feel sorry for you. And I haven't observed that here. Just don't take that like that. I, I'm just preaching what God gave me here. But, but if it is, I feel sorry for you. If you, have a, if you have a hard time talking with God privately sometimes, do what I do. I talk to him about it. I say, Lord, I'm having a hard time talking to you this morning. Can you help me with that? And he answers that prayer. Every time. So the third practice that Jesus challenges us to do for the right reason is in our self-denial. Practice self-denial in order to trust God more. That's what it comes down to. Practice self-denial in order to trust God more. The Pharisees would fast at least twice per week. And it was common for them to basically look to others like they were on the verge of starvation. Like, oh, brother, you got to bear with me today. The fast is so difficult, but I'm making it through. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it. Jesus is saying, oh, hope you got plenty of respect for that one because that's all you're getting from it. It's either one or the other. Fasting is valuable. It is intended to increase our dependence on the Lord as we set aside something that we lean on without even thinking about it. Okay, Fasting is valuable. It's intended to increase our dependence on the Lord as we set aside something for a period of time that we tend to lean on without even thinking about it. All right? Obviously, we think of food, but it can be TV. It can be our digital device. It can be social media. You know that you're picking the right thing if, you know, say you're like, oh, what's, what are these people thinking? Oh, nope, I've set that aside. Oh, that's, that's difficult. And you stop and say, Lord, help me to depend on you, not on this thing. Not on this input from others, not on, not on this box hanging on my wall. It's intended to develop dependency on the Lord rather than that thing. It should be difficult. It should be uncomfortable because it's something that we go to for comfort, something we go to for distraction. And Jesus tells us basically here, when you deny yourself 
for God's glory, for your growth. Don't do it so that people will notice. At that, you know, there are times, there's times where I fast. Have I like broken a rule by saying I fast sometimes? No. Because I'm not doing it, I'm not saying it even to you in order to get you to like me more. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So step away from those things that you tend to lean on for strength and spend time learning, leaning on the Lord, talking with him, worshiping him. Experience his filling your longings and look ahead to the reward of being better prepared for eternity. Can I imagine, you know, that scene that you've all seen in the sitcom where the guy's sitting there doing push-ups? He's like, three... Four, and somebody's trying to impress, walks into the room, he's like, 105, 106, right? It like all of a sudden it goes from reality to what he wants to project to that person because he wants to be praised. He wants that person to think better of him. That's what's being talked about here. So practice self-denial. Practice self-denial. But do so in order to trust God more. <clears throat> some of you that have been here at Harvest, you, you recognize these pictures. And some of you that haven't been here for a while, you're like, I don't recognize those pictures at all. But, you know, I just want to encourage you with something. Because a lot of you guys have said, this is one of the most profound things. That, that, that when we come back to it to better understand our, my relationship with the Lord... This helps me in so many contexts. And so I'm, I'm excited to come back to it. But I want to encourage you too. This is kind of our thing. Um, this doesn't come from a book uh, or things like that. It just comes from experience and study of God's word and study of culture and study of, 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 um, the, the, of how we as Americans walk with the Lord. But really, any given situation, any given uh, moment in our life or, or relationship, whether it be a relationship with a person, a relationship with a practice, or a relationship with a, your job, an institution, anything like that. Whatever we do, it can, it can come down to, I'm either going to serve myself with it, or I'm going to serve God with it. And that decision, that change is made within my heart. And, and we are created in order to do what we do in order to worship God with it. In, in, in the idea of biblical worship. And the picture that we're given of biblical worship, to me, is the, the act of sacrifice. Laying what we do on the altar as an offering of worship to the Lord. And leaving it to Him to glorify Himself with it. Or we might... Uh, because of the condition of our heart, rather than doing what we do as an act of worship to God, serve ourselves with it and and do so as to serve ourselves by treating other people or other or, or the, our job or the situation like a vending machine, and taking what God has given us to worship Him with. And plugging it into that person, plugging it into that situation, plugging into that vending machine in order to get what we think we need from that. So 
to better explain this, at any given time, we typically wake up with our hearts set on serving ourselves. And this is why we need, it's best for us to spend time in God's word daily. We need to pray as the psalmist does in Psalm 119.36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In a sense, I think the psalmist is saying there, set my heart on serving you, Lord, rather than serving myself. So in the example of, of when our hearts are set on serving ourselves and we've made ourself the king of our hearts, if you will, we treat everything in life like a vending machine. Like I've been given what I've been given in order to serve myself with it. And so I'm going to give it to this person. I'm going to give it to this job. I'm going to give it to this spiritual discipline in order to get what I think I need from that person, from that job, from that brother or sister in Christ that's watching me give, that's watching me pray, that's watching me fast. I like what Warren Wearsby says, remember that hypocrisy robs us. We substitute reputation for character. Merely words for true prayer. Money for the devotion of the heart. No wonder Jesus compared the Pharisees to tombs that were whitewashed on the outside but filthy on the inside. Hypocrisy not only robs us of character, it also robs us of spiritual rewards. Instead of the eternal approval of God, we receive the shallow praise of men. We pray but there are no answers. We fast, but no. But the inner man shows no improvement. The spiritual life becomes hollow and lifeless. That's the end result of, of our hearts being set on serving ourselves. That even the good things that we do, we do it for the praise of other people. But when we ask the Lord to incline our hearts to him, when we ask the Lord to set our hearts back on serving him rather than serving ourselves, we are able to do what we do as an offering of worship to God. So husbands, we can, we can scrub that kitchen floor and think, Lord, I hope you're honored by this. I hope you're, you're glorified by this. Instead of sitting here thinking, I hope my wife is noticing this. I hope maybe this will pay dividends later. Young, young men, young women, we can, we can actually date and think, Lord, I hope that you are pleased with the way that I'm treating this person. I hope that you're guiding me in, 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 um, in the type of person that I, I might want to marry one day. Rather than thinking, boy, I hope if this person, you know, will make me cool because I've got them as a boyfriend or them as a girlfriend. I hope they like me because of the way I'm, I'm treating them, right? We can actually treat what we do. We can treat people as an opportunity, as an offering of worship to God. And then whether they admire us for it, whether they're excited for it, whether, they, they, whether it blesses them tremendously or not, God is glorified and we get to enjoy the reward of a closer walk with God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much that your Holy Spirit 
works on our hearts according to your standard. If this was a list of rules, if this was a list of, of things that we need to, to do, 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 we would be so lost. Lord, I thank you that the righteous act has been done in Christ. And we can stand before you in your righteousness. So whatever act we take that, that has um, an inkling of your righteousness as a part of it, that we don't have to wonder if it, if it, if it earned from you what we needed to earn or Certainly, we, we uh, can just let go of whether or not um, other people noticed or other people care. Thank you, Lord God, that everything can boil down to our relationship with you. That every opportunity is an opportunity to worship you. That every opportunity is an opportunity, Lord, to bring you glory. And when it brings you glory, it's for our good. Lord, allow us to walk in these truths individually and as a church body. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.